Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer. And I'm speaking from the sunny UK, the big smoke, London. One of the very few truly international cities around the world. And in this episode, we're going to talk about humanising AI. Mmm, you may be thinking... In short, the future is not all AI dystopia and Terminators running around. It can also be about creating a technology that has ethics, transparency and fairness rolled into it. And our expert is going to share her passion and her work around this subject. Let's greet our guest from Washington, D.C., USA. Welcome, Swathi Young. Hi, T.C. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's great to uh, great to kind of get into your very busy schedule. Um, so just to kind of build, uh, introduce you to the audience out there, what is it you do? And what, what does an ambassador to, to the AI community mean? Sure. Um, thank you again for having me on the podcast. Um, so I'm Swati Young and currently I'm Chief Technology Officer of Integrity Management Services. So what I do is obviously uh, a CTO wears many hats in the realm of technology. So I'm no different. I help integrity management solutions clients, which are predominantly U.S. government and what we call the federal agencies here, because I'm located in Washington, D.C., the headquarters of the U.S. government. Uh, So I help U.S. governments with uh, solutions using emerging technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning. I also help the organization uh, bring new technologies to market using lean startup methodology that I firmly believe in. Um, So, yes, I'm a proud ambassador of Women in AI. Women in AI is a nonprofit whose goal is to increase diversity in AI. And we know compared to traditional software or uh, technology, um, AI can have biases and that can be eliminated by increasing the number of women in AI. So that's our mission and I do that by mentoring girls in STEM and AI, by conducting webinars and events uh, and featuring women AI experts. So the other things that I do is I also work on some voluntary projects with the U.S. government. I recently co-authored an AI playbook. It is a framework to help U.S. government adopt AI systems. And currently I'm leading the ethical application of AI for the U.S. government, which is a framework to evaluate uh, the ethical efficacy of an AI system. Um, so those are some of my voluntary projects that I'm really proud to be involved in. Wow. I, where do you find all the time? It's all about uh, time, management time management and zero Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I won't mention about Netflix. Uh, there's some really good shows I could share with you afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's, that's excellent. And so in terms of the title of this podcast, which is Humanizing AI, would you like to kind of speak more around that interesting, intriguing title? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I believe that uh, the future is eminent and we all think about the future in multiple ways. We think some of us think about a utopian future. Uh, some of them uh, think about a dystopian future. And I think the future is in our hands today uh, because we see that AI or artificial intelligence is exponentially growing in adoption. Uh, and those of you who might or might not be aware, uh, a simple spam filter of your email uh, uses AI. And wow. we all know the other applications like Amazon Echo, uh, Apple Siri, even your Netflix recommendations, if it's pulling you into the next, next thriller because I watch that genre, it is using artificial intelligence without your knowledge. So. Wow. Uh, AI is, like I said, exponentially growing and uh, we do see that in the future there might be side impacts and side effects of AI uh, like with anything else that has happened in all the industrial revolutions we have seen until now. Yeah. Um, so what I am a big proponent of uh, humanizing or bringing the human factor in multiple perspectives. One is when you design an AI system. So when you design an AI system, obviously it is going to be designed currently for humans to use, to make our lives easy, convenient, efficient. Um, so I totally believe in human-centric design, which is speaking to the users of the system or also involving the stakeholders of the system who can be different constituents. Um, and um, so by humanizing these systems, we are ensuring a better future uh, with less uh, what I call the evil impact mm. of right. uh, AI systems and then actually for the betterment of society. And then there are uh, technology aspects of it um, along the ethical AI framework I'm designing for the US government. Uh, so we can talk about it in detail later as well. So in a nutshell, um, human-centric AI or humanizing AI is making sure you have uh, humans in the loop while designing the systems, while implementing the systems, and thinking about the outcomes and impacts of the AI system to uh, everybody in our society and uh, how we think, how we act, how we interact with each other. It's beautiful. I love the uh, the word that you used there, the outcomes. You're making sure that the outcomes actually serve uh, us human beings, because ultimately that's what it's about. Uh, um, just as a kind of side comical note, I was watching uh, uh, Terminator Salvation the other day, which uh, obviously kind of has a very dystopian uh, angle on the whole right, uh, kind right. of idea. But um, I, what I, I love about what you just said, um, Swadhi, is, is that, that, you know, like, for example, the US government, they're looking at frameworks to kind of create this ethical ethical framework to to allow mm. us to do the work without kind of doing something crazy um so just while we're on that dystopian kind of like you know hopefully we'll kind of bring this more to kind of like the rainbow happy happy lovely mm -hmm. stuff in a minute mm -hmm. um so in terms of the, the fear around ai and how it's used in technology um can you speak to that uh, in in some way absolutely i know you just spoke about terminator but uh <laughs> most uh common public when they think about AI, they do think about a Terminator, they do think about, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> a future that's bleak, 
They think of humanoids and robots ruling the world and destroying everybody. Um, so, so yes, I think uh, movies and science fiction has presented um, the other side of uh, AI, but I think like with everything, there is good and bad, right? So when cars first came, and I'm very interested to see how autonomous cars and self-driving cars would be adopted. So I was researching how many years it took for cars when they replaced horses. Um, and it took a good two to three decades actually to replace our cars. And now even our cities, uh, the way we can drive through and pick up our food or the way our urban cities are developed and the uh, 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 road systems, how they are, and especially the U.S. being the largest roadways in the world, um, you know, everything changes and societies actually changed according to the cars and their impact. And, and new services came up like car repair shops or... Yeah or you know, uh, car maintenance, car salesman that is uh, very popular uh, mm. uh, in uh, fiction. So, so there are all these uh, side effects or secondary effects of any innovation or any revolution. The thing that is different uh, in what is the term called fourth industrial revolution that we are currently witnessing how it is different from say an innovation like a car in the past is that it's not just one technology, it's the emergence or the convergence of multiple technologies like whether it is artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles that uses artificial intelligence. We're talking about drones, we're talking about uh, you know quantum computing, we're talking about digital twins. So I think, unprecedented in the history of humans is this convergence of various types of technologies and that is made possible like we all know through the Moore's law and and uh, decreasing costs of processing power and speed and etc so um so never mind why it became uh, you know so uh, increasingly yeah. exponential growth but the fact is it's only going to increase exponentially from hereafter so mm. uh so it's it's in our hands both as a technologist and as a member of the society to design systems that are uh, beneficial to society and and uh, the other fear people have is this uh, uh this impact to jobs right so they think that robots will take away our jobs while that future is so far away like even the most eminent researchers say, we don't even know when the actual robots that can behave like humans, which is artificial uh, general intelligence that is far in the horizon. I think there would be still the fear of impact to jobs. And yeah. according to the World Economic Forum, while they would be impact to a lot of jobs, they would also create new jobs. Mm. But there would be a gap in the skill set that we as business leaders has to prioritize to make sure uh, that gap is fulfilled and the fear is reduced so that we prepare either the future generation or the current generation to adopt skills that will fulfill the jobs of tomorrow. Beautiful. And, and uh, follow on question from that then is, is that uh, in terms of that, knowing what these skills will be and what the industries will be is that a big i don't know or is that 
is there kind of some ideas formulating around? Yeah, sure. So, so you we already know that uh, data scientists as a job did not exist ten years ago, and today they're one of the highest paying jobs. But according again to the according to the World Health World Economic Forum, uh, the skills that you want to focus are critical thinking and problem solving and. And like I love to say that women bring empathy to the leadership. Empathy is something that uh, robots are not going to emulate anytime soon. So all these uh, soft skills and critical skills, but also your STEM skills, math and engineering should be combined. Mm. Uh, but some of the industries definitely we know will be disrupted as whether it is, um, I say the first and foremost is healthcare and education. Yep. Uh, we already know of robot surgeries being conducted, uh, you know, uh, robots used in, used in routine tasks in hospitals like delivering food. Um, we also know about education. We now have online platforms where anyone in the world can access um, education, premium education, free of cost or almost negligible cost. For example, Coursera teaches machine learning course is by Andrew, Andrew Ning, who is a popular computer science professor at Stanford. So if you're sitting in anywhere in the world, New Zealand, Nigeria, India, China, wherever, you can access the course if you have an internet connection free of cost. And this is the premium course you can think about from an eminent professor from an eminent university. So education is disrupted, right? Mm. So all these industries are going to have these new jobs. And we also know that industries that need uh, uh, high touch, for example, uh, elementary school teachers, childcare providers, they're not going to be replaced anytime soon. So what is it we can do in the environments that requires a high touch uh, and now with the COVID pandemic, we talk about telemedicine and uh, a lot of things can be done in telemedicine. Uh, and recently, like I had an issue and I was issued antibiotics by a telemedicine uh, a video call. But right. if I break my arm, I do need to go into a hospital. So, so what it's going to do is the AI systems or the future emerging and disruptive technologies are going to um, automate the routine tasks that can be automated, but the high personal touch, you still need that human element. So, yes. so I think the future of tomorrow and the jobs of tomorrow are, yes, traditional jobs might be replaced, but you do have new skills and new jobs yeah. coming up. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's good. Yes, because I, I guess, uh, as you say, the media has been painting a pretty dark kind of picture and, and kind of mm -hmm. concerns. And, and I guess that's always going to happen with disruption. And I love the analogy that you gave. Well, it's not an analogy. It's actually history around the adoption of cars. You know, when they first came, I, I remember reading uh, something about, you know, some you know, people were scared and then make the horses bolt and stuff. And uh, somebody mm -hmm. had to walk in front with a, with a flag, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I can see that kind of disruption. What, what's interesting, again, is, is how how we're... Uh, seeing the lessons of the past and seeing and trying to kind of manage them with the frameworks you talk about and the discussions and uh -huh. forums. So in terms of the disruption for the kind of end user, the kind of client and the, um, 
the customers. Um, you've also got disruption in terms of the technology that tech leaders need to provide. You know, mm -hmm. there, there, there's. Do you see that being embraced, or is there still resistance there as well? I think, like with anything, the proverbial uh, phrase I would use is it depends. Um, I think uh, forward thinking leaders have always embraced whether you spoke about agile earlier, that agile as a methodology. Um, and I think it's not just uh, confined to technology leaders for any new product. We do have early adopters and then the laggards and, and in the middle is then the uh, common adoption. So it's true of AI as well. So there, while there are a lot of leaders who are embracing it and using it either for their competitive advantage with their customers or to be efficient in mm. their uh, top and bottom line revenue. So, um, so that is always there. But AI itself, I think, is going through uh, what Gartner says, the hype cycle, right? So it has gone past the hype and now we are seeing actual use cases and implementations um, in all industries, in a variety of industries that are beneficial to the organization's goals. Uh, typically, any organization's goals is threefold. Either they uh, increase their revenue, they decrease their operating costs, and they increase their customer satisfaction. And all those goals have been aligned to the benefits provided by the AI system. So definitely, we are seeing the increase in technology leaders adopting AI. And like with anything else, with new innovation comes the laggards, which will, who will take more time to adopt. Yes, yeah. I guess it's kind of uh, educating them, uh, making them understand the use cases where things can be used. Uh, because one of the interesting things as I was kind of researching your field, uh, Swadhi, is, is that um, there's, a, there's a lot more things have moved on a lot. I, I, I did uh, artificial intelligence at University of Warwick. Um, actually trying to detect fetal stress in uh, babies' heart rates. And um, and back then it was quite a big thing. And, and and now many years later, as you can tell, I'm no spring chicken anymore. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can see now it's starting to become a conversation in organizations, especially around that, that thing that everybody keeps talking about is big data. You know, uh, there's we're swimming in data, you know, even, right, dr right. even drowning in it. I, I don't know, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you touch an interesting point, right? So one of the things I think uh, my responsibility is as a technology leader is uh, actually educating them, uh, them as in whether it's customers or other le business leaders, because often when a lot of business leaders think about AI, obviously they're not aware of the use cases. So it is in uh, our best interest to um, educate, bring up to speed as to AI, I cannot uh, sprinkle the pixie dust of AI. All I can say is, <laughs> these are some scenarios you can think about. These are some use cases I've seen in your industry. Uh, these are some food for thought. If you have some problems that you're trying to solve uh, and you can share with us what are those problems, we can think about if it is a problem that is solvable by AI. Um, and Again, I would like to say not all problems need AI as a solution. Um, yes. It's identifying and that's where I help uh, the business leaders. I help them identify uh, what is a good use case for AI? Is it uh, worth the return on investment for this particular use case? And like you mentioned, the big data too often leaders are sitting on top of a gold mine of data 
and they don't know how to use that. And, and uh, again, as uh, leaders, it's our responsibility to educate them to say, okay, these are some ways that you can use this data efficiently, but the path to get there is going to be tedious because data comes with its own uh, extraction and tedious process of analysis, finding out the veracity of the five E's of data that we know about, what is the volume, at, uh, at what speed is the data changing, uh, what are the data sources and how reliable are they. So while we can show the rainbow and say, okay, uh, these are some use cases, we also want to make sure they understand uh, the data comes with a price and a cost and resources to uh, to be analyzed and uh, be machine ready so mm. that you don't give garbage into a machine learning algorithm to get a garbage out. We want to yeah. make sure it's a sustainable algorithm that you're writing that can provide that benefits time and again. But yes. you need to put in the upfront effort to cleanse that data and understand the data before feeding it to the uh, algorithm. Excellent. Yeah, that's good. And I, and just as you was kind of talking, then we're going to cover some of this uh, with the questions that are coming up. So, so what we're going to do now is going to segue into the kind of tech leader type questions now to kind of help some of our kind of boys and girls out there that are in leadership positions and have been pondering uh, using uh, artificial intelligence and just kind of scratching their head, thinking, where do we start? You know, what, where, do, where do we start this thing? So, um, so the first kind of question around that is from a business perspective. Um, what do we need to kind of consider when we're looking at the the sentiment of 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 the data or the sentiment in the data um yeah sure um so again i it all depends on the use case first of all and secondly um the sentiment analysis is a specific uh, form of uh, natural language processing uh, that can be used to extract information from text and unstructured data. So, for example, if you as a brand want to know uh, with how well the new product you have introduced to the market is being received, uh, for example, Burger King has just introduced a new burger and they want to know uh, how well it's been received, they can do something called sentiment analysis on social media sites like Twitter and Facebook. Instagram and, and actually get the sentiments and say, okay, so 60 people are sort of uh, happy with it, 40% so-so, uh, so they can make an uh, informed decision whether to do like a public launch of the product. So right. yeah. uh, so it depends on the use case of the, the sentiments itself. But when you talk about data beyond the NLP, that is natural language processing, uh, when you talk about data, data by itself doesn't do anything. Only when it's used in an application, it makes sense. So uh, yes. obviously, one of the things I think a lot about is that uh, a lot of applications do not need uh, uh, the sentiment analysis, but some of the applications do. And, and the sentiment analysis can be extended to uh, the human in the loop as well. So. Yes. Depending upon the use case, again, uh, you can get those stories, sentiment if you would like to. Mm. And uh, if you do not want them, you don't need to. For example, if I'm doing a predictive analytics, when uh, a component in a ship is going to fail, I don't need the sentiment around it. But if I'm doing a predictive analytics around 
when uh, people are likely to book a cruise, yes, I do need a sentiment. Maybe, uh, maybe there is something happening in the Caribbean islands that more people want to go apart from the holiday season. So, so depending on the use case, you might want to drill into the additional details of the sentiment analysis. Okay. Yeah. So, so in some cases you don't need to do that at all because the data is pretty much, it's just data, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and if it's data coming from humans answering questions, for example, you're able mm -hmm. to kind of, well, there's some need to uh, isolate some of the, uh, I would say tainted views or mm -hmm. it's a kind of, there's a, there's a taste in the, um, uh, a flavor in the in the answers that might need to be considered yeah um so how can data be humanized and what does it mean to me as a person or individual okay so we're about humanizing the data mm -hmm. yes yeah that's an interesting question and i will go back to the point that data itself will cannot mean anything unless it's used in an application and humanizing it's it's like a uh, dichotomy right so because on one hand we are removing the human in some of these applications for example uh, when I'm expecting an Amazon delivery at my doorstep I am eliminating me going to the store interacting with the person at the billing counter driving back um, and eliminating that total interaction and now I don't even need to open my door and receive the delivery anymore so on one hand, even autonomous cars and self-driving cars is going to eliminate the human in the loop. Mm. So on one hand, if you think about it, there is a pattern of eliminating certain human elements from the loop, but it is for the greater good. So you, we do know that car accidents are major cause of death um, more than any other natural calamity event. So we are going to maybe reduce the number of car accidents by eliminating that factor. And as well as for Amazon delivery, yeah, if I can save one hour of my busy schedule to spend time with my son and by ordering with the touch of a button, it's efficient, as yes. well as actually uh, adding the human element in a different manner. So, uh, yes. so it's not an easy question uh, how to humanize the data or humanize the applications themselves. Yeah. It's what are the side effects and the outcomes that can humanize. So in yes. the case of an Amazon delivery, I'm saying the outcome is it's saving me time to spend with my family. Uh, similarly, even in the self-driving cars, the outcome can be uh, the disabled person has an ability to get around on their own at lesser cost because today they might be spending a lot of costs on taxi cabs or even Uber rides. So so humanizing is not a very very straightforward and linear answer mm. there are some certain aspects obviously when we think about self-driving trucks uh, the truckers who are earning wages by driving trucks will feel that they are going to go without jobs and obviously they have to be reskilled uh, to train them to get different type of jobs maybe yeah. maintaining the self-driving trucks can be one of the jobs but yes uh, but again, the effects of it can be too often truck drivers are asleep at wheel because of tiredness and routine tasks. Uh, so you're eliminating that factor and improving the efficiency of either the deliveries or reducing the number of accidents. Sure. So, yeah. uh, so with any AI system in an organization, if you're thinking about 
automating a particular business process, think about uh, what are the efficiency gained, but at the same time, you are going to get new jobs instead of the old. For example, you might get a data scientist, you might get somebody to monitor the system, Mm. uh, someone else to upgrade your infrastructure, and those jobs might not have existed before. Cool. And so one of the things as you're describing this kind of humanizing data um, in the legal system, you know, so I imagine that uh, AI's kind of uh, uh, made its way into that kind of area as well and making, maybe helping making judgments um, or uh, providing evidence of such. So, I mean, if it's just kind of raw data without kind of a human consideration, you know, this data might be just certain things like location you know or whatever so in terms of you know humanizing that data for example in the context of legal uh, system is is that possible can you humanize the data to to give that human element of judgment absolutely so interestingly enough there has been ai research conducted around bail hearings in the city of new york um an experiment that looked at uh, nearly 550,000 bales uh, that were heard by a judge and out of more than 400,000 people that were released over 40,000 failed to appear at the subsequent trials or were arrested for other crimes. However, when machine learning algorithms were built, it recommended decisions that detained uh, or release that would have resulted in 25% fewer crimes. So this is a stark and uh, very interesting statistics because often when we think about AI systems replacing judges in judgment of bail hearings or parole decisions, we think, oh, AI system is going to be biased. And uh, and, uh, funnily enough, this research shows AI system is actually less biased than a human. So taking the case of this, uh, uh, the judge uh, or the research done by the bail decisions of a judge in New York City, uh, when you look at the process that happens when a judge gives the bail, uh, they do look at your uh, features and your body language and your past history before giving the bail judgment. So Obviously, humans, we all know, have many cognitive biases, so that bias is creeping in, whereas uh, when a machine is uh, reading that data, it it, uh, crunches the numbers that a human can't possibly do. Um, Think about you're looking at, uh, say, one million records of of, uh, people with past history of crime. Uh, A judge or a human can only look at maybe 10, maximum 20 factors, Whereas a machine can look at 5,000 factors wow. that it's not humanly possible. So, uh, so yes, while we are all skeptical about adoption of AI in such use cases, which I do understand, there need to be some level of transparency as to how the algorithm made this decision. Mm. Uh, but end of the day, we have a use case or a possibility to uh, to actually eliminate the human bias uh, by using an AI system and as it is showcased in this research. Sure. So um, again, using that legal example you gave there, with a judge, you could go to them, he or she, and say, why did you make that judgment? And they could explain themselves. So with a with an AI, this kind of wired, but you know, kind of imagine a ball of wires, you know, computers and chips and um, 
uh, how how do you kind of decipher what their thinking process was is that possible yes i think again uh with anything in the world of ai i say uh i go back to the use case or the business scenario so um a lot of it also depends on the type of algorithm you use so for example if a fraud detection algorithm is used by the department of treasury which collects our taxes and says the fraud detection algorithm has found a particular organization has uh, done fraudulent activity on taxes and the government wants to penalize the organization the organization can sue the government and say how do you know can you justify what is the evidence and if ai system has made that recommendation then we should be able to explain that decision in a court of law right. so that specific use case is so different from predicting if a machine will fail or not because mm -hmm. there the risk is so low um so in this particular use case going back to the fraud detection of taxes uh there you can use specific algorithms like decision tree uh random forest that actually explain both the input variables and the decision through which the algorithm made uh uh the decision and made the outcome and the output variables so various mm. in some use cases such using like deep learning techniques it's still not uh explainable or transparent to the extent we would like to be and there's a lot of research going on in that area so there are two things when it uh, comes to ai uh, you need to keep in mind one is the explainability of the system the other thing is the transparency and uh, the level and granularity of both of them will depend on your use case so yeah. if you are predicting something like a machinery breaking down risk is low maybe not so much explainability but if something will be taken to a court of law yes you'd need to be uh, explainable like going back to the legal case uh, of the ai system using to make judgments of bail you yeah. do need the explainability yeah so in, so for our kind of tech leaders out there if you have some data and you need to humanize it what what would you say to them where do you start No that's a great question and this is the foundation of the debate and deliberation that went into authoring the ethical application of AI systems for the US government that I'm currently uh leading that effort so uh where do you start is i say that it's at various points along the life cycle of an AI system so initially when you start um the factors you obviously need to consider is the data itself because for any ai system uh from self driving cars to your predictive analytics everything the input is going to be data so starting at the data and identifying the data sources and trying to see um what are some of the biases that are in the data and how to eliminate is one good way so i also talk about it in two perspectives one is technology perspective another thing is outside of the technology and i i love to say this time and again ethics in ai is not a technology problem don't look at a cto just to solve that problem uh by themselves it's it's a collective effort because the reason i say that is there is there are a lot of business processes business decisions and business rules or the heuristics around uh building an ai system for mm. example if you are issuing business loans uh the decision as to 
what type of data you consider for the business rules de depends on the or relies on the business stakeholders and not necessarily the person writing the algorithm they look at the subject matter and the domain experts and the business stakeholders okay tell us what are the rules uh, if you need uh, specific data in a specific zip code then you need to tell us and if that zip code is by proxy uh, amplifying biases that then the onus is on business owners right so yes. it's not just a technology problem so you need to consider um, things both technology wise yes once the data is uh, collected uh, obviously again in the fraud detection case there would be more uh, out of a million records there are more transactions that are regular transactions than fraudulent transactions so you need to do technology uh, techniques using technology to balance the data. So that's we can do as a technologist, but outside of technology, business rules, the metrics you're using to measure. So if if more women do not receive a business loan, is the is the problem with the algorithm or with the business process? So we need to go through that life cycle to understand that. So mm -hmm. I, I would start with the data at the data sources. I would also look at the bias data, but also look at the business rules that go into modeling. And finally, the outputs and outcomes and ongoing monitoring of the system. So yes. we do know AI systems or machine learning algorithms learns on a continuous basis. So maybe today we didn't see any bad outcomes but two years from now we saw the outcomes are different so it's it's uh, imperative that we monitor the system continuously um and the metrics that you're trying to measure okay why are more women getting rejected uh, compared to men then you go and analyze the root cause of where it lies right. and maybe the bias has seeped in at whatever level maybe it's at the data labeling level right you did not label the data appropriately yes yeah. so you are biases were amplified after a year and a half so yes again it's in the continuum of the life cycle of the system itself and this kind of brings me back to, uh, brings it back to the point you made earlier on um the uh, it sounds like the data is the biggest kind of part of this It's you know it, it, the technology is there to kind of create learning but the data that you feed into it is is the big part of the this whole yeah it's the foundation heart and brain of everything even self-driving cars are learning by getting the data about the objects on the road right and and uh, they will learn a path of uh, how the road is and how the road curves and where are the where are the sidewalks where are the lights everything but if and if an object comes in the way like a child running on the road it has mm -hmm. to detect and all that uh, uh, whether the camera is recording it it feeds back into the uh, processing of the uh, self driving car as data elements so mm -hmm. the data is at the heart of every type of autonomous system that you can think about that's right yes um so it sounds very complex this and it sounds like a huge investment for organizations and the tech leaders are probably looking for uh quick solutions or um you know ways in which they can use these kind of big pools of data that they have to to give kind of business value so in terms of these tech leaders coming in given this kind of problem we need to use this data and learn something from it and, and improve the business um are there tools off the shelf tools and uh, and patterns almost you know like software patterns to to get on with this quicker rather than mm -hmm. have to start from scratch 
Yeah, I would say, um, again, with any new technology, uh, obviously, it's been around for the last five to 10 years. But still, if it's new in your organization, you would start with a small prototype. Uh, I would encourage to start with a small prototype, small problem you can address and get quick, uh, small wins. And for mm -hmm. such a prototype, you can use your existing AWS of whatever cloud you have to avail the resources, one of computing power and two of the libraries that are off the shelf. Um, thankfully enough, AI has a lot of open source uh, products or tools, R and Python being the most popular. Right. And even Google, like for example, if you're doing image analysis, you can totally use uh, Google off the shelf libraries. And uh, so I would start there. Uh, where your investment is low initially, take a small problem that you can solve with your existing data and maybe even do a prototype with data science interns. I've done that uh, at my current organization as well. So I would encourage that would reduce your costs initially, but showcase quick wins within a one to two month time period even wow. uh, before you can, you know, convince your other business partners, other departments to to make higher investments. Yeah, beautiful. I, I love the idea of these, you know, these kind of free bits of uh, uh, libraries and, and tools out there. So you don't have to mm -hmm. reinvent the wheel, you know, because I no. imagine it's been huge investment in them. And, and to start from scratch, uh, you know, I, I can imagine it's, that's going to be quite costly and, and cause you to potentially fail very quickly, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in terms of the kind of ethics, coming back to the humanizing of data, in terms of the ethics around that where where do we draw the line as to what is ethical from a business perspective i imagine yeah or, or societal perspective mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and that's where i can um give an overview of the ethical application of ai system framework that i'm currently working on um so when it, we think about the ethics of an ai system i think along five broad uh, uh, segments. One is bias, uh, second is fairness, uh, third is transparency, uh, fourth is responsibility, and the fifth one is interpretability. And each one has its own nuances um, in it and uh, uh, what we call the indicators of each of those elements, right? So if you take under bias, uh, an indicator can be, is your data uh, really uh, truthful? because your data can hide uh, some misinformation, right? So that for that example of an indicator, taking uh, under bias uh, the veracity of data as an indicator, then think about what is the implication. So if your data is not truthful, uh, what is the implication? You will get biased outcomes or you will get false outcomes. So that's an implication and that poses high risk. Mm. So. Uh, consider your AI system across all these five elements and then uh, think and dig deeper about what is an indicator of it. So, for example, in fairness, if you're collecting data from a particular zip code, uh, by proxy, you are eliminating people from other zip codes or you're including the zip code only because they are in, uh, in a marginalized segment of the town. So. Um, so that's an indicator of fairness. So, uh, so you have to evaluate on that indicator and think 
okay, now what are the implications of it? So the implications are on the dimension of fairness, uh, if you're collecting elements in a particular zip code, the implication is that it is giving an unfair advantage or unfair disadvantage to certain segments of our society. So, right. um, so what we do in that framework is not prescriptive as, as or no, because ethics is not uh, straightforward. It's very hairy. It's very complicated and complex. So we just provide a tool where we uh, tell them these are five elements or dimensions of uh, thinking about ethics of an AI system. And then for each dimension of fairness, transparency, responsibility, etc., think about what your indicators are and think about what is the implication of each of these indicators. And we, we provide a high level scoring model um, and it's up to you end of the day to decide based on all this evaluation that you did, whether you want to proceed forward or you want to tweak the way you collect your data or you want to tweak your business rules and take effective action. Beautiful. And, and in terms of this kind of uh, ethical indicators, um, do you think we'll ever get to a situation where we'll be able to give uh, a, an artificial intelligence system uh, a kind of rating on each one, each one of those, you know, so you can compare and contrast? Yes, I think the, the question, if I put it differently, is, is there a technology solution for evaluating it, right? So yeah. I would think, yes, there is some research in specific areas like explainability and transparency, for example, and bias, of course, there are a lot of existing tools that deal with biased data. Uh, but end of the day, I think we can have as many tools or technology solutions. End of the day, I do need a human in the loop to say, okay, uh, what is the implication, especially the implication and outcomes are not straightforward. You will have um, implications. For example, look at the adoption of self-driving cars. We have implications where I just stated previously, it's going to help disabled people. It's going to help you spend more time with your family, maybe your child that you don't have the time to spend and you're going to prevent a lot of accidents. But the other side effects are secondary industries around it. It's going to impact huge multi-billion insurance industry. It's going to impact ride hailing and taxi cabs. It's going to impact your uh, typical uh, car salesman type of businesses, car dealerships. It's going to impact car repair shops and et cetera, et cetera. So there are the secondary effects that are not um, very easy to solve. Uh, but it, we have seen, history has shown us uh, that humans are very good at adoption, but it's a matter of time, right? Yes. So I do think that evaluation, you will have technology elements, but you do need that human in the loop ultimately uh, just to understand the implications sometimes uh, about the immediate effects to society, sometimes about the economic impact to society. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, yeah, that's quite that's quite interesting. And as you kind of describe all this stuff, uh, you know, I, I've kind of mentioned this a few times when I've spoken to, you know, experts like yourself, technology leaders in the in your field. Um, my head kind of boggles because there's so many different directions this could go, you know, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the data, the technology you use, uh, the implications, the fairness, the bias, you know. So there's kind of this multi-dimensional Rubik's Cube uh, that you're going to have to try and, uh, solve. Um, so I, I kind of have an image of rabbit holes, you know, you can end up going down a track and, and disappearing down a hole and you keep going, keep going. Um, so do, do projects that are trying to add a, 
um, artificial intelligence element to solving a business problem or making things better go down rabbit holes absolutely i think if you're not going down a rabbit hole you're solving too simple a problem <laughs> <laughs> right um, and one of the very common rabbit hole we go down in machine learning is your accuracy levels right so one right. of the factors you determine whether you use this machine learning algorithm in your organization or not is the accuracy levels and that depends on use case it depends on your uh, uh, your appetite for uh, uh, accepting risk um, but it also depends on uh, the use case again if somebody uh, is going to give a if the AI system is going to make a judgment about bail and parole and if somebody has to be incarcerated there your accuracy is going to be in the 90s right you really want a very accurate whereas if you're going to predict uh, the failure of a machine again, I would say your accuracy can be something as low as 80% even because right. okay, if I know at least it's more than 50% chance that if I'm in the middle of an ocean and a very big component of the ship is going to fail, at least I will have a backup something uh, mm. component. So uh, there I can accept an accuracy of 80% because I'm not, I'm, my risk is low. So um, so I think it all uh, it all depends on uh, what is your uh, appetite for actually, uh, you know, having that risk right. uh, in your organization. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, in my mind, uh, listening to you, I've already gone down a data rabbit hole and I'm trying to figure out mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. do you start. So, yeah. Um, so the rabbit hole is always uh, as a technologist is evaluation of your accuracy levels. And yes, and the rabbit hole, usually I call it a rabbit hole because um, my previous project that I previously worked on, which is on lung cancer research, uh, we spent months on analyzing the data and building the algorithms and our accuracy levels was very low. Accuracy, recall, all those precision, all those metrics that actually provide your, whether it's algorithm can be used or not. And so it's a huge rabbit hole because we have to go back to how we analyze the data. What is the, uh, how did we balance the data set? How, uh, what did, how, because these are like more than 5,000 variables we are talking about. We're talking about uh, surgery codes. We're talking about diagnostic codes. And we were like, did we have to include or exclude this data? So we had to go down this rabbit hole time and again, time and again in loops and pull, literally pulling our hair because we want to get an increased accuracy. Uh, and sometimes the question is, did uh, so maybe we uh, used only three years of data should we use 10 years of data to get better accuracy right yes. so all these questions and we don't know what's the right answer that's why we're going down rabbit holes and uh, every ai problem or, uh, or you're trying to solve or build a system you will go down a few rabbit holes and and sometimes it's to do with your data mostly to do with your business rules um and very rarely it's is to do with your algorithm yes excellent that's good so we're going to backtrack out of this rabbit hole uh, a little bit and uh, and just kind of ask you around the kind of future of ai where do you see things are going um for ai I, I'm, I'm for me I, you know the one thing that's been a big topic for me is fake news because you hear about mm -hmm. this all the time you know um yeah would you like to say something about that the future ai what do you what are your hopes for it 
Yeah, um, fake news is one. Facial recognition is a tricky subject at the moment. Uh, you see the announcements from all companies like IBM that stopped um, the facial recognition. And again, it is intrinsically or um, intricately intertwined with the hairy topic of ethics, right? So because facial recognition algorithms uh, used by police, uh, especially in the light, light of Black Lives Matter, mm. had to be put on hold. Um, so where I see AI, the future, right? So um, there is obviously, uh, there is a little fear that uh, if not used correctly, um, it can lead to bad outcomes like we have seen in the case of facial recognition tools or even fake news, which is changing the narrative throughout the world. I would not necessarily even the US. Uh, the US of course has polarized society uh, like never seen before, but uh, it's changing their narrative throughout the world. Uh, um, so on one hand, I'm hopeful that AI researchers are going to look into how to handle some of these loopholes of the technologies. On the other hand, I go back to the drawing board and say it's not just a technologist's responsibility. We do need, like in the case of, I'm sure when cars were first uh, introduced, uh, we had to work a lot about the rules and regulations of driving the cars and ensuring who is liable in case of an accident. All the rules governing it, governing safety of uh, society at large, including bicyclists on the road, pedestrians on the road. So all these rules had to be written over many, many periods of research and, and deliberation. I would say the same thing. There is going to be policy and regulation. We've all, already seen uh, the city of San Francisco has banned facial recognition technology, but that's at a city level. But I see governments of the world, both in Europe and uh, the United States, will have to come up to speed uh, in ensuring that we have a robust policy and regulation around various use cases of uh, AI, whether it is facial recognition or something new mm. um, coming up. And, and uh, I always like to joke that uh, as a software developer, I never thought that politics and, and technology will be so intertwined. But in 2020, we are talking about moderating the pres president of the US on a social media technology platform. Mm -hmm. But that's the world we live in. I think technology is not uh, us versus them. Technology is part of every moment of our lives at our fingertips. So it's going to be so crucial that technologists come together with the general public, with the educators, with the academia, with the regulators and policymakers to make sure that the future is in our hands and we want to create a future where, uh, where we are all benefiting and uh, not curtailing our uh, fundamental human rights. Yes, that's right. It's heartwarming to know that people are actually talking about this and rather blindly kind of heading in that direction. You know? um, mm -hmm. And it's great to have people like yourself doing this work as well, Swadhi, to, to make sure that, uh, you know, we get the best out of this, this, uh, this fourth industrial, was it fourth industrial revolution? Yeah, uh, the fourth industrial the convergence. revolution. Convergence. Yeah, it. I love mm -hmm. it. Um, so, uh, well, thank you for your time. I just wanted to kind of uh, give you an opportunity to maybe give a key takeaway to our tech leaders out there. Yeah, the key takeaway for tech leaders is that obviously um, you have to adopt AI systems or you're going to be left far, far behind. 
And if you've already adopted AI systems, uh, now is the time to look into some complex issues like ethics of AI bias in AI systems and have those conversations with your counterparts and the, of the business stakeholders and business leaders. And even as a technologist, I strongly feel we owe it as a responsibility to the rest of the world to educate people outside the world of technology about the implications of AI systems, just like we spoke about fake news and facial recognition. Um, we need to increase the narratives around these hairy problems that technology brings to the table. So uh, those are the main things that I would say to a technology leader. That's a great takeaway. Thank you for that. And uh, in terms of uh, yourself, the work that you do, um, would you be happy for our audience to contact you? Absolutely. Please feel free to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, it's called uh, Trendy Techie. I post mm -hmm. on trendy topics uh, that are the need of the hour on YouTube. And it's very easy to find me, Swati Young. Uh, just Google it. You will land on my LinkedIn and my YouTube. I am also on Twitter. So if you want responses from me really quickly, uh, you can tweet at me at Swati Young. Brilliant. And, and we'll provide those information on uh, on the podcast page uh, and when we kind of uh, distribute it out into our channels. So thank you very much, Swadi. It's been great listening to this. And uh, and I hope we kind of connect again and, and see where this technology has taken us, you know. Maybe you'll Absolutely. speak to a, an AI version of me, you know. We uh, have a conversation with the TC bot. I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> have <laughs> yes, a great day. we will all have digital twins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have a great day, Swavi. You too. Thank you yeah. so much for having me again. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was a great conversation on a very topical and fascinating subject. I have to confess, I am a little bit concerned about AI in the far future and how it may be misused. But it's great to see the conversation around the ethics of AI is starting to warm up. I'm really glad that people like Swathi are part of that conversation and helping the US federal agencies put together an ethical framework around this, unlike some regimes around the world, I must add. It's not quite the Terminator and super thinking and scheming electronic intelligence just yet, but the way AI and ML is being used right now needs to be complicit with our desires for fairness, transparency and honouring diversity. So my key takeaways were this. One, speak to the experts in this area around the use cases you could start using right now in your organisation. Please don't try to wing it. The experts have made many battle scars learning, adapting and refining how best to approach this technology. Number two, the importance of seeing the convergence of technologies with AI is imperative. It's not just about AI. Look at the other technologies that are emerging or have emerged. What's the crossover? Where will there be synergy between them? Number three, how AI has come out of the hype cycle and now is starting to show some practical use cases. And finally, I see just how far away we are from metallic humanoids chasing us down the road. We're not quite there yet. And on that note, I'm just about to go and watch Terminator Salvation. Finally, before I go, remember to subscribe to our CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs to do that can be found on this page. We are consistently creating materials to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. So come and have a look at what we're creating. And of course, if you want to know more about the services IT Labs provides, including our Teams as a Service 
service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. There you are, folks. That's all. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening or even a good night, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next podcast.